Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron, and we're excited to be back. Uh, Byron, before we get into the show and everything we're going to talk about, let the listeners know why they should be listening to Politically Entertaining every week. Because there are far too many important things going on in this country and in this world that affect you personally. And I know, like Frank and I, we get it. Politics news isn't for everybody. So we try to be the place that you can come. And once a week or once every two weeks, however often we do this show, we try to give you a lot of things that that aren't covered as much in the mainstream media and like a lot of very important things that you need to hear. As for example, today, we're going to be talking about the possible end of democracy. I know that sounds doom and gloom, but uh, the author made some good points on it, the 1619 Project. And we got Lauren Burke joining us later on in the show. Before we get into all that, Frank, uh, there's a rapper that I'm sure you have probably never listened to a single song of his. I actually became familiar with him on The Breakfast Club, hosted by Charlemagne, uh, Angela Yee, and DJ Envy. It's on Diddy's uh, Revolt TV. And he was on there. And, man, I don't know what to say other than he's a very colorful guy, literally. He was so-called in a blood, in a game called the Bloods. Um, well, he wound up getting arrested. And just to just picture a guy that just was so hardcore talking all this noise. He stayed in constant beef with other artists, getting in trouble, uh, showing flashing guns all on videos and stuff like that. Like he was really in it. He was a true gangbanger. Let him know. Let him tell it. Well, now that he's facing some years, he's decided to tell on everybody, a.k.a. snitch. So he's been snitching on everybody in the game. Uh, things went sour for him as people that he knew wound up kidnapping him for money and they threatened his life. So he wound up snitching on them and just pretty much telling everything that the gang did that pretty much he was the money maker as far as the music. And he supplied them with the money to purchase guns and to fund their drug network and, and put hits out on people like that. So my question for you is it brought up a big conversation on snitching and the snitching culture, uh, especially in the black community, even though he's Puerto Rican. Uh, what is snitching to you? Because it's different for a lot of people. And do you feel bad for this very young rapper? I think he's like 23 or something. Do you feel bad for him or is that just the life that he led gone wrong? Oh, man, you know, it's funny because I think we had a, a show about a thing about snitching on the show a long time ago. And I had a really good answer that I said. And I wish I could recall what I said. Um, it was almost kind of prophetic. But but, I, but to try to answer the question about snitching, I, I don't like the term snitching. And I think what I answered a long time ago was it, it, it somehow undermines the ability to to have to have. Um, justice be served or have right wrongs be righted because people have a code of honor against something that's wrong now now everything that this guy Takashi six by nine or whatever his name is I don't know who he is I, I don't listen to him you certainly <laughs> nailed that but what I will what I will say is um he he is in an unfortunate position because obviously He's being threatened probably with jail time or with, you know, a stiff sentence. And so he's trying to do what he can to save his, um, you know, own CYA, basically. And so, yeah, 
I, I don't necessarily, I don't feel one way or another about it. I, I, th I think that he's got his own consequence to deal with. I think that when you're where he was and doing what he's doing, he has his own things to answer for, right? He was, he knew that he was part of an illegal front. So whether or not he was doing everything that they were doing, he was still part of it. He was still accomplished to it. So he shouldn't necessarily skate just because he's, you know, outing all the people there. But it just, it does goes back to underscore the, the saying, there's no honor among thieves. And so I just, I just think that whatever comes out of it, um, for him, it's not going to be good because, you know, chances are if he gets a reduced sentence or he gets out, people are going to be, he's going to have to probably change his name, move somewhere else, right? Cause they're going to be looking for him. And if he hadn't Absolutely. said anything, if he hadn't said anything, he'd be probably, you know, maybe, um, you know, 20, 25 years maybe or longer in prison, depending on what they were charging him with. So I, th I, th I think what we should all learn here is young people do not compromise your integrity um, and, and compromise your values to be a part of something that you know isn't right. And so I, I would just say this, I'll just offer this statement. At some point before he got where he was with this group, he knew that it wasn't right, but somewhere he lacked an identity and enough fortitude to realize that wasn't the right way to go. And then he got in too deep and now his life is, is in trouble either way. So I just want to share that with, if you're, you know, got kids out there and things like that, get, make sure you're reinforcing certain values in your kids so they don't compromise themselves, prostitute themselves to a group that makes them feel um, value because they haven't ever seen it from their parents or from their, um, the elders in their community. You spoke about being prophetic and it's crazy because I said I first came to know him on Breakfast Club, and he actually did a second Breakfast Club interview about a year later. And literally, you know, Charlemagne, all the hosts were trying to tell him, you know, you need to cut back on some of his behavior. It's not going to end well. Like, they were drilling at home. He was rebuffing all of that, man. I, You know, I'm in this. I know what I'm doing. I'm not stupid. Nothing's going to happen to me. Literally, I think it was either the next day or that same week after that second interview, was when it all fell apart and he got arrested and put in the situation he's in now. So it's kind of crazy. Um, feel somewhat, I don't know, I don't want to say I feel bad for him, but whatever led him to that situation, you know, had to be pretty crazy. But enough of Takashi 69. Let's get into the show. Listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now your hosts, Frank and Byron. Welcome back to Politically Entertaining. I want to thank you guys once again for joining us. As always, we ask you, subscribe. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher Radio, Anchor, Podbean, Google Play. Subscribe, that way you get the episodes as soon as they post. And please, you know, share us, follow us on Facebook, Politically Entertaining. We post a lot of articles and, and a lot of things that we can't cover during the show. We try to make the show a, a certain amount of time. So there are some things we can't cover. Follow us on Facebook and you can get all the other stuff that we don't go over. Now, 
on August 20th of this year, it marked what many are saying now, 400 years of slavery. And the New York Times has spearheaded what they call the 1619 Project. And uh, the, the lead report on this has been Nicole Hannah-Jones. And what they have found and discovered is that there was a Portuguese ship that uh, landed on all of all places on uh, Point Comfort, Virginia. Uh, and it said that they brought over the first 20 slaves. Uh, it's long been believed that, you know, slavery started in like 1776. This project is saying it goes back much further. The first slaves were here, 1619. There were 20 of them. Uh, and it just the 1619 project, it goes through all of the contributions of blacks from slavery up to this point that they made in America. And it's received praise from notable people like presidential hopeful Kamala Harris. And of course, like with everything, it's gotten criticism from people like former Speaker Newt Gingrich, who said, and I quote, the 1619 Project is nothing more than brainwashing propaganda. Other conservatives have called it, the project is an attempt to reduce American history to a lesson on slavery and race. Um, same with Roots, when Alex Haley released Roots, um, when this country decided to give Martin Luther King Jr. a national holiday, pretty much anything black is always going to get some type of backlash, some type of pushback. How would you respond to some of the criticism that the 1619 Project has gotten? And what are your thoughts on the project as a whole? So I'm not I'm not going to lie. I'm not totally, totally familiar with everything about the project. But I will say this as far as its reaction to what it's, what it's doing it's you, you read you read a statement. I think it said something like one of the conservative um, somebody on the conservative side or conservative think tank or whatever said you're reducing the history of America to slavery and racism. And I'm like, isn't that really what it is? That's really what it is, because if you take out the fact that. What would this land? Let's just let's just take out the idea that what would this land be? Because. The Indians weren't going to work the land, right? Like they, they, we, they, the, the, the uh, Europeans decimated the Indians due to disease and other things. So basically, the African slaves were the only people that could survive in the climate, and they were not killed by all the European diseases. And they, and, and another thing we don't understand is how smart the Africans were. Like I think there, there's a un misunderstanding of the intelligence of slaves. Like they were enslaved, and they may not have understood like the language or whatever. But they were accomplished and understood things in their own right. Those 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 lands weren't farmed by accident. Like like all the things, the way the slaves worked, they figured that out. Like I th I think there's this idea that the white overseer knew everything and just commanded the dumb black niggers to do stuff. And it was like there was a lot more understanding of how the, the slaves actually took a lot of pride in in doing their job. I know that sounds crazy. I know people are gonna be like, "What the hell are you talking about? What is going on here?" The, the slaves, I mean, yes, there was a Nat Turner, there were rebellions, there were people escaping, but there were there were slaves that did their job and took it seriously and respected their masters. And every master wasn't necessarily beating their slaves. It wasn't necessarily a good situation, but there were slaves that accepted their role and they were there and that's what they did. And so the idea that you can tell any type of American history without slavery and race is like to, to omit much of the story. It's like, well, where does the story even begin? How do you even get started? How does America even become where it becomes? How does it become, how does it produce 90% of the world's cotton, 
producing uh, much, much old, old wealth in the world that still exists now in this country. How can you, how, how would that, where'd that wealth come from without that story? So to me, it's just a disingenuous attempt to discredit something to, to continue to put a face and a narrative on what this country did and what they, and how, and how they treated um, a, um, a group of people that, that was forced over here and how they basically save the country and turn the country into what it is today. And I think that is the craziest thing that, that when you go up to now, you have the Colin Kaepernick about go back to your country. It's like, wait, you brought us here as slaves and we saved your ass in all ways, fought in your wars, watched while our wives were raped, our daughters were raped, and we still stayed here and we still served the country and we still wore the flag. And you got the nerve to tell us we, we, we're disrespecting it. You disrespected us the moment you brought us over here. So I, I'm not trying to like go get all preachy, but it's just like, it's just very convenient for people to, to speak now in a postmodern after Obama elected, like everything is all good when it's not. And so I, I'm, I'm happy that these projects continue to exist because it continues to shine a light on how this country was started and not, doesn't let people, and I'm not going to say all white people, but it doesn't let, it doesn't let a, a, a large majority of white people forget about how this country was really built on and 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 how they should not think of black people as 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 um liabilities they the, the liabilities that we exist as today are because of the the the, the chains and shackles that have continually been put on us if you had left us alone after reconstruction we would have been good right so i mean True. i'm 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 sorry i did I, I didn't mean to hijack the answer but this is our show so i can do that but Exactly. I yeah. just I just I just wanted to say that in a total form statement to kind of give people an understanding of the dynamic of what we were looking at here. And then for people to just, you know, go on. We got the Bill O'Reilly foolishness about slaves were were well fed and kept again that promoting the mentality that slaves were stupid, you know. And here's another thing, too. I'm going to piss some people off. Slaves also, even in their, even in the state they were, they so they they sought the gospel, the gospel of Christ, not the gospel that that the white people ripped the Bible out and made Jesus white and lied about. They sought who the true God was. They they sought Christ and they actually found him. And and another story that people don't know is there were preachers that were coming and preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And the slaves would be like, nah, you can't come back because, I mean, slave masters would be like, nah, don't come back because we don't want them knowing the truth because they didn't want black people to be human because they knew that if black people found they were human, they couldn't enslave them. They were guilty. They gave a slave Bible out to slaves so they would make sure they were subjugated to the master and not even realize they were human. They tried to do that, but the spirit of God didn't even allow that to happen. So buzz off, you conservative racists, you fake evangelicals, you fake Christians, you're not. You're you're liars. You know, get over yourself. And you probably aren't even listening to this podcast, but if you ever listen to it, you need to check your heart because it ain't right. Right? And that's just the truth of the matter. And if you got a problem with it, you can email me at info at politically entertain.com and I'll be happy to either return your by email or phone call. Have a have a great day. <laughs> Shout out to Erica Cooley also, because she is the uh, she's the first person that uh, brought this to my attention that mentioned that I was visiting her and my good buddy uh, Sherman down in Jacksonville, Florida uh, last month. And she was the first one to mention the 1619 Project and just some of the things that I uh, 
I, I don't want to say learn. I mean, some of it I learned and some of it just to have it reinforced, you know, like not all the masters were able to afford their slaves. And so banks were offering loans on slaves. So just like you pay for your mortgage today, there were loans on slaves that these people paid. Can I tell, for can, our I, can, 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 I, can I tell you this? That's 100% yeah. true. And here's, let me tell you how profit, let me tell you how amazing God is. Let me tell you how amazing God is people. I went to Bali and I ain't bragging because I went to Bali, but you can take it for what it is. I went to Bali with my wife for our, for our anniversary. Yeah, that's a flex. I ain't, I ain't flexing. <laughs> but what, I, what I'll say is this. There was an Australian woman having this exact conversation. We was in a happy hour lounge. She was like, the banking system was invented by slavery. White, Australian. I was like, how she know that? I'm like, why am I hearing that? And, and my wife always gets on me because she's like, you're super nosy. I'm listening to this lady go through the same exact conversation. This white Australian woman is, has, has read this book or had this thing, and she's talking exactly about the banking system and slaves and how that's how a lot of the loans started and banking system started on slavery. And, and I was like, hold up, what? And my wife was like, well, is she saying anything wrong? I was like, no, she's not saying anything wrong. I'm just, I'm just shocked that she knows she was like, a, like an older, like a grandma, but she was just talking. To somebody else and she was explaining that so it's just amazing that knowledge is there and out there and and people across the other side of the world know it but yet people in this country are lying aligned to themselves and that's why i'm i i'm so glad you you came around to this point because people are going to be like you're just an angry black man no you're just an uneducated person and that's why it makes me angry like i mean people will listen to interviews like we have with dj roski and things like that and hear anger but there's a frustration with the lack of understanding of the history yeah. of this country. And so yeah. when we are on these tirades, you hear these things, it's not so much that we're mad. It's just that this is, you're allowed to live in a lie. And we're just like, oh man, we have, we have to suspend all belief to make you comfortable, to make you comfortable walking around like, oh, it didn't really happen like that. Or that's not really how it worked. Or you can live in the same city, in the same country and not know anything about how it really got formed because that's the privilege. That's white privilege, right? That's what, mm -hmm. you know, people like Tim Wise and, and things like that, they, they cover and they talk about. And so I think, I think that is, you know, and Jesus doesn't cover up for that, right? Like, I think people have made a big confusion of like, well, you know, it's all under the blood. It's like, uh, but here's the thing, right? If Jesus didn't care about people, he wouldn't have he wouldn't even come like God wouldn't like, like, and this is going to be, I'm just going all in. I don't even care. I'm going all in. You know, the reason why Jesus is the big deal is because, you know, as Christians, we believe God is Jesus is God. God, Jesus, you know, they're, they, they are the same and one of the same. Right. And so the reason why Jesus is important is because as a, he came as a man to restore what man should be doing on earth, which means he actually cares about what we do on earth, but she actually cares about people. He's not just worried about heaven. You know, he's not just washing away. He's like, you know, I came to make sure that you're doing what I want you to do on earth, which doesn't include enslaving and raping people, by the way, in case you wanted to know what those things might be. Love your neighbor as you love yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart does not include any of that that happened during slavery. So I just wanted to share that a little bit as well. I know I haven't gone in like this but man you know what i don't know how many episodes i got left only god knows that and i ain't gonna tell no lies on this damn show man ever since you uh went off on that tirade on michael moore and that whole thing in mobile i've i've always loved your tirades man uh the 1619 project was just announced also last week by the chicago public schools that it's now going to be taught in their schools and you know from just learning about how Lincoln, the real reason Lincoln freed the slaves, it was a war tactic to, 
uh, I don't. Oh, oh, they, they, uh, the, the press, the press in England. So when America was trying to get, you know, their independence from England and saying how they want to be free, it was just cool to learn how the press was calling, calling people out way back then. It's like, you know, you guys talking about you want to be free. Why don't you ask the people that you got in shackles and chains right now about being free? Then come talk to us. So it it was just cool to learn a lot of things. So check it out. And if you're not a reader, they actually have a podcast, the 1619 Project, for you to listen. Listen to it on your commute while you're doing chores and just check it out. Um, I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to discuss the end of democracy. It's an article written by uh, Rick Shankman of Politico. Going to get into that. Also, uh, a lot of these videos went viral from the Revolt Summit. A lot of you guys saw that on social media. Frank and I are going to tackle that. But before we do, uh, she is a contributor to the National Newspaper Public Publishers Association. They distribute over uh, 200 newspapers, black newspapers, with up to 20 million uh, readers worldwide. So she contributes to that. She's been on TV One, CNN. Lauren Burke, let's welcome her to the show. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Joining us today on Politically Entertaining, she's been here before. You can catch her on CNN from time to time. She used to be on uh, Roland Martin's show as well on TV One. We got Lauren Burke with us again. I want to thank you for joining us one, one more time, ma'am. Hey, thanks a lot, Byron. <laughs> it's great to hear from you. Absolutely. Um, so I just want to jump right into it. Um, we did a ton of shows before the 2016 election. Frank and I and almost every guest we had on here were pretty confident that Hillary was going to win. And, <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course she didn't. And now we're in 2019, elections coming up next year. My thing is, it seems like a lot of Democrats are treating Trump as though he's unbeatable and we need this perfect candidate. I don't think he's unbeatable, <laughs> but I also know he's not unelectable. And I think that's a mistake a lot of us made in 2016. My question to you is a two-part question. Do the Democrats have a plan or is it going to simply be that Trump is a bad person, vote for us? And if they have a plan, what is their plan? What are they offering voters in 2020? Um, they don't really have a plan. I mean, there are too many candidates standing on the stage for there to be a real plan. I mean, the candidates don't all get together and say, okay, let's, let's decide how we're going to do this. Like right now we're at a point where, you know, obviously the pre-primary stage, it is a free for all, but it's supposed to be that. And quite frankly, I think one of the biggest problems with Hillary Clinton was that she didn't have competition and when you don't have competition, you get out there and you don't do as well as you might have if you uh, if you were battle tested, right? So the party kind of assumed that you know it's got to be Hillary, and that kind of scared a bunch of people off. You're not going to have that this time. I think that's a good thing. Uh, so so no, there's no plan. But quite frankly, I think that the top five uh, Democrats in the polling are still polling better than Donald Trump. That's so, a, that's I mean, that would be a <laughs> that'd be and, and also I wouldn't necessarily say, of course, Hillary did lose in terms of the Electoral College. We all understand that. But she still got almost three million more votes than Donald Trump. And that's got to mean something. That's got to mean something. 
Uh, she came, you know, ridiculously close in Wisconsin and, and, um, Michigan. and, uh, that, yeah, Michigan. Right. And, and it was really crazy. It was a little bit of a fluke. I mean, he won, don't get me wrong. There's the rules and he won, but when you have like the biggest margin of popular vote, uh, you know, she got that biggest margin of popular vote in U S history, uh, for a loser that that's pretty extraordinary. Yes, and when you mentioned being battle-tested, I remember that was one of the things they said about Obama in 08, that he was battle-tested because Hillary had pushed him so he was ready for that general election. Um, it seems like with this administration, right. it's one thing after another. And recently, like right on the heels of the whole rehashing of the Kavanaugh and, and allegations against him, we get a whistleblower. And to break it down for people that are listening that don't really follow political mumbo-jumbo, what happened is you can liken it to someone seeing a crime, going to the police, reporting the crime, and the police going to the criminal saying, hey, somebody saw you. What you want us to do about it? That's kind of like what happened with this director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire. He took info to the White House instead of to Congress. Um I don't know a whole lot of details on it. I wanted to get your opinion on what all is going on with this whole whistleblower incident because the administration is trying to, you know, downplay it. Yeah, well, it's just the latest in the sort of Trump crime syndicate, you know, level behavior. I mean, they sort of just do whatever they want to do. Um, But Trump pressing pressing Ukraine's leader, uh, right, as Giuliani was pushing uh, an inquiry on Joe Biden. That is something that is, you know, (laughs) that that is something that of all the things that Trump has done, it's a very uh, blatant uh, problem that everybody can sort of understand very easily. And, of course, Giuliani was on CNN the other night and got embarrassed by Chris Cuomo uh, (laughs) on this issue, Uh, you know. Donald Trump, for some reason, and I haven't completely figured out why this is the case, is somehow teflonic to law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, I think the the uh, Southern District of New York is likely to be the one that's going to get him in the end when he goes out of office. But but it is amazing to me that everybody sort of <laughs> stares at each other in Washington and, and shrugs their shoulders and doesn't seem to know what to do with these blatant violations of ethics and the law and everything else obviously none of these things would have happened uh smoothly uh, or would have happened at all without any uh reprisal it had that been president obama everybody knows that but it, it amazes me how donald trump can do certain things and, and nobody is standing up to to him nobody is sort of taking action justice department's not taking actions of course some of this of course is that he's put people in place to prevent any of that from happening but it is amazing. And, uh, you know, it's, every week it's something new with Donald Trump. Uh, uh, I think he's got some sort of wag the dog thing going on with uh, uh, our troops right now. But I, I just got in from Koki Roberts's uh, memorial service. I haven't read about that yet. And I, I just it's amazing to me the things that this president is able to somehow magically get away with. Hey, Lauren, this is Frank. I'm going to get in here. I want to go back to a, a first, the first question that Byron asked and kind of expound on that, where you, you you actually said the Democrats don't have a plan. And that worries me from this standpoint. So I know you said that it's kind of a free-for-all and they're all kind of jockeying for position. I totally understand that. But what is the position going to be of a 
Biden or a Elizabeth Warren or even a Kamala Harris, if they are able to win the nomination, what are they going to be able to, I guess, provide other than, like you said, the, other than Byron said, maybe the fact that Trump is a bad person. I think there's people are really looking for direction from from the um, political office. And certainly one thing I'll say about Trump is regardless of whether or not you agree with his politics, he provides a direction. It's, it's a it's a one note one-sided direction, but I feel like the Democrats are kind of milk toast in that regard. Is there anybody who, in, in, in the candidates who you think can, like, provide a direction that the country could get behind? Well, I mean, if we're talking about politics and, and I mean, I'm sorry, if we're talking about policy, uh, yeah, I do think there's a lot Democrats can offer. If we're talking about uh, marketing and politics, then, yeah, Donald Trump is better than that because Donald Trump has, you know, played in the world of marketing his entire life. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, this idea that, that that somehow the Democrats are failing if they argue in a detailed uh, policy way that that somehow is a bad thing, I, I'm not in agreement with. I think that uh, certainly Elizabeth Warren in particular, but, but many of the other candidates, I mean, we've heard it from uh, – from Castro, from Buttigieg, from from Booker, we've heard some really detailed policy stuff. The problem with the Democratic Party is that they don't know how to do communication strategy. So even though they have the goods on the policy, and those policies, when you look at the polls, are things that most Americans agree with, uh, they don't know how to market it. And you know, Trump with his uh, "Make America Great Again," you know, he he puts it where the where the goats can get it. In terms of communication strategy, he's not complicated. Uh, frankly, some of his success is the backlash of having a African American president, and he benefits benefits not only from that, but he benefits from the policies that Barack Obama was very successful at. And you're seeing that in the unemployment rates and everything else. And uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, whoever gets the nomination on the Democratic side is going to have to play a mean game of marketing and politics i think frankly warren would be better than that uh, better at that than biden would but uh somebody probably like uh cory booker would be better than biden <laughs> almost think almost anybody would be better than biden but what my experience tells me is that when people lose uh for the nomination twice before they don't just suddenly raise up one year and win it just doesn't work that way losers people who's lost before usually lose again and uh and so even though there's not a specific plan, you know, uh, for for Donald Trump, I mean, we're not at the stage yet where we get to that. We haven't even done Iowa and New Hampshire yet. So we have to we have to wait and see. We just have to wait to see, you know, how this how this happens. And we can't rush it. And it happens when it happens. So, uh, no, nobody has a specific plan to beat Trump. But when you got five candidates on your side out of 19 who are polling over him already, that should mean something, you know, in, in the long run. But we're, we're going to have to wait and see. It's interesting what you said about the poll numbers. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to look at the national polls and say there, you know, people are polling ahead. But I think one of the things we did see, uh, and I, I was a, I'm a big, um, how would you say, um, proponent of 538, which is a Nate Silver. They do the, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with it, they do the whole electoral cause. And they were actually giving Trump a solid chance of winning the election, I mean, I saw it being like 40% chance when people were, you know, types like real clear politics were giving them less than 1% chance. So what I'll say is some of these poll numbers you have to take with a grain of salt because 
the the, the idea in, in some of the 538 um, electoral college model is the fact that you can't, like, for instance, you can't be ahead by five points in Wisconsin and lose by three points in um, Pennsylvania. You know what I'm saying? Like, you see that, like, the states in the blue wall were showing signs of cracking before, right? And so that's why Hillary ended up losing, you know, some of those some of those states because it was trending that if one of those, a few of those states were trending away, then she would lose all of them. So I say all that to say, I, I don't really trust the polls. What I, what I do know about Donald Trump is he has a very uh, high floor. His ceiling isn't that high, but but his floor is high. He's got his supporters. And, and one thing I'll say is, and we talked about this on our previous show we did, is the constant attack of Trump is 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 continuing to rally his base. So his base is always in defense mode. Like even though he hasn't necessarily provided what he said he would for his base, he's always defending himself. And so the, his base sees him as under attack. So my, my I guess my thing is when and this is kind of a little diving a little further with the strategy question is, okay, let's say Warren gets it. What is if you were the strategy, if I was to hire Lauren Burke and say, hey, you are my campaign strategy, what would I be saying? What do I need to be doing to present myself as a candidate that's not trying to attack Trump on his moral failings, which people obviously don't his supporters obviously don't care about? With that he hasn't done that have been disastrous for the country other than just his moral failings as a man. Well, Elizabeth Warren in particular has not been particularly interested in attacking anybody else, not even really the president. I mean, she's talking about institutional change and in what she's saying in the same way that Bernie Sanders was talking about it uh, four years ago. And he was actually at some polls, you know, doing well against Trump. Uh, there was a theory that he would have done better against Trump. Clinton. That's because they're talking about the bread and butter issues, the the pocketbook issues that people want to hear about. But but further than that, the things that uh, people don't want to, uh, you know, establishment uh, party actors don't want to talk about, like money in politics and uh, the corporate influence over politics. You know, they don't want to talk about that. But Elizabeth Warren does want to talk about that. So when people hear that, they, they have a reaction. Part of the reason Trump got in and the reason he was popular is because he argued uh, against politics as usual. And let's, you know, let's throw everything we've been doing out and do something completely different. People had a reaction to that, particularly when you have a country that has, you know, 40, 50 million people in poverty, one out of every seven Americans under the poverty line. Uh, they know that there's something wrong when they can't make ends meet uh, and they're working two and three jobs. And you know, you see the cost of living in so many of these larger cities, particularly Washington, D.C., the city uh, that I'm sitting in right now, is like through the roof. Um, tomorrow I'm going to be in Brooklyn, New York, uh, in a row house that my grandmother bought in the 1940s, and uh, she had three relatives that bought that house. Uh, the house is now over worth over a million bucks. Uh, you could not, on the typical salary that we make now, uh, buy such a piece of property, right? You have to be a millionaire to, to buy anything in New York now, even in Brooklyn. Uh, my mother was a, uh, a cleaning woman, and her, <laughs> my her and her aunt uh, and her husband bought the house. I mean, you can't you can't do these things now. Right. Uh, so it those are the types of conversations <clears throat> that Elizabeth Warren wants to have, where it matches up, kind of. I don't want to say poorly, but, you know, Trump is able to match that conversation. So when he was talking about America first, you know, that's something that resonates with a lot of people. Barack Obama spent a lot of time talking about things 
that had to do with people who were not uh, born in the United States. And that gets tiresome when you look around in this country and you see a housing crisis in California, they have a homelessness crisis. Uh, you know, I actually think we have a homelessness crisis here in Washington, D.C. as well. But the point is, that is the conversation that that Warren would have to have in going up against Trump. She's got to accelerate past what he would say. Um, I get that we're 409 days away from the 2020 uh, presidential election. But the fact that, you know, Biden and Sanders and Warren are polling over Donald Trump, uh, even at that distance, like I said, can't mean nothing. <laughs> you know, I mean, and his his, his uh, approvals are terrible. His 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 uh, you know, he's got terrible numbers when it comes to negatives, and uh, it, it, that that usually is what sinks people. Now, what he does have on his side is is history, and usually the incumbent wins. I mean, the incumbent president usually wins, so he's got that whole thing leaning in his direction. But like I said, if you can't get more if you let Hillary Clinton beat you by almost three million votes or get more than three million than you and, and Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate, then a better candidate should be able to beat you. And that's where Donald Trump's gonna have a problem. <clears throat> that is the exact argument I've been making. We got Lauren Burke with us, contributing writer to the national newspaper, Public Association. You can catch her on CNN from time to time as well. I know you gotta get out of here, Lauren. So I'm gonna just get I'm gonna get to this final question and get you out of here. I've had this discussion, <clears throat> excuse me, with several people and I found some that agree with me and disagree. And as we continue to see more and more things that it seems, more and more lost that it seems that this administration is broken, <clears throat> the question of impeachment has come up and I know the House has begun some proceedings on it. Now, I am on the side that I don't want to make a martyr of him and I feel like by impeaching him, <laughs> He's only going to use that as an excuse. They can't beat me, so they had to come up with some phony impeachment. Plus, we know the Senate at its current state is not going to remove him from office. So I think it'll be what Republicans complained about with Clinton helped make him a more popular president than he should be. But then I got other people that say, hey, if we don't impeach him, then what good is the law? What good is having the law in the books if you're not going to impeach someone that deserves to be picked, uh, impeached? So... My question to you is, which side are you on on the impeachment argument? Uh, I'm not for it, even though, yes, it should happen. The pro the reason I'm not for it is the same reason that I, you know, think the Democrats always sort of have trouble, which is a terrible at communication strategy. And they just do not have the right at people in place to, to pull off an impeachment uh, hearing, and they don't have the votes in the Senate. So invariably, you have the problem of it going over the Senate not not happening. So, so Jerry Nadler, as much as I like him, he represents Lower Manhattan, is not up to the task. We just learned that again the other day with Corey Lewandowski, you know, basically rolling right over them. I mean, Corey Lewandowski should have left the hearing room in cuffs, and didn't. And so, mm -hmm. why is that? And and unfortunately, so much relies on the theatrical in our politics. Uh, and it's just the reality that is not something that is the greatest thing in the world, but it is the reality. You have to live in the world as it is and not the world as you wish it to be. And quite frankly, I just don't think Nadler can pull it off from a theatrical standpoint. And yes, that matters. So 
yeah, should it happen? Sure, it should. I mean, they should have been the minute they got in in January. They should have been. I mean, the, the president has violated so many things that it's a joke. But you cannot execute it. If you cannot execute it in public, in a way that works in the court of public opinion, you will not win. It will not be successful. And the Republicans are right now much better than the Democrats at that. I'm not completely sure why Nancy Pelosi is against it, but I have a feeling in the back of her mind is the reason that I just stated. I mean, she's not going to say it to anybody, but come on. I think They've so got too. to be able to pull it off in a way that the American people would, would be okay with, and they don't have that. I agree. Well, as I said, I know you got to get out of here. We want to thank you for your time. You can follow Lauren Burke on Twitter at LV Burke. Again, contributing writer to the National Newspaper Public Association, and you can catch her on different cable outlets like CNN. Appreciate your time, ma'am, and uh, thank you for coming on. We'll see what happens in the uh, in the next 12 months and, and, and further out. Yes, we will, and thanks a lot. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. I want to thank Ms. Burke once again for coming on. I really appreciate her time. Uh, Frank, you heard her answer on impeaching Trump. It kind of aligned with mine, which is, you know, I kind of don't want to see the House impeach him and make a martyr of him because we all know the Republican Senate is not going to remove him. So it'll be all for nothing. And on top of that, you'll make him even more popular than what he is now. So we heard her thoughts. We heard my thoughts. I wanted to get what are your thoughts on impeaching Trump and what are your thoughts on the uh, interview as a whole? Uh, first of all, I just want to uh, shout out to Laura Burke. I love her. I love her. She's so stately when she speaks. I'm just like, man, I'm so, I'm so, I feel so uncultured sometimes and not in a negative way. just like, she's, she's perfect. She's, she's great. Um, very, so knowledgeable. Like just, you hear the depth in her answers when she speaks. She doesn't just say stuff. She's, she are, even if you just ask her a question, she's already thought it through. So just compliments to her. Always, always a joy to have somebody so knowledgeable. Um, and so, um, you know, just just well accomplished in her feel on the show. As far as you know, the impeachment thing, I I pretty much agree with you guys. I mean, we don't need to add any any more fuel to Trump's base. We 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 have you know, I kind of mentioned on the interview about him having the Trump Trump having a low ceiling but a high floor. His floor has been his, his the fire has been stoked by the constant attacks by the media. And so, what's gonna get what's gonna make headlines? An impeachment. That's gonna like literally no pun intended trump everything else that has been done in presidency if he if he gets impeached he can turn around and say everything i was trying to do they didn't let me do it they impeached me he can like like his he's he's going to turn the narrative and they've been trying to get me out ever since i got in i've done everything i could they impeached me and 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 as we will get to later as far as you know some of the the things about the articles and democracy it's it's going to go over well with his base that they're they're gonna eat eat it hook line and sinker. So I think the main thing to do is just allow Trump to ease on the last you know twelve, thirteen months, and to be working hard as 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 you know the Democratic machinery needs to be figuring out how to get a candidate um, that that can that can take back those states that Hillary Clinton lost because that's gonna be the difference in the election if you know whoever the candidate is can win Florida and you know pennsylvania and wisconsin then they'll win the election i mean it's that simple like it really is that simple like it really will be that easy but those aren't those are easier said than done so those are things that in my opinion 
they should be focused on, not an impeachment. So before we get into this next topic, um, it's commonly said that America is a democracy. We're actually a republic. But um, this article here, you know, we have a lot of, you know, democratic uh, values and we're pretty much ran as a democracy. And so this journalist for political magazine, Rick Shankman, he uh, was at, I guess it was like a a speech or a gathering. I want to say a speech or a seminar. And uh, a, pro- a professor by the name of Sean Rosenberg of the University of California in Irvine, he got up and spoke. And Shankman writes about what uh, Mr. Rosenberg was talking about. And pretty much to sum up what he spoke about was that democracy as we know it is nearly over. And what he's saying is, as people have gotten poor and more and more people have uh, become poor, They've turned to far right wing pundits. And he also mentions how our biases. So it doesn't matter how much evidence is in front of you. Your mind, once your mind has a certain bias about a religion or a race or a sex, it, it forces you to choose that way and embrace. And that's how you embrace ideas. You know, we always say, you know, how do so many people vote for this party? when they propose policies and ideas that are against their own personal interests. Well, he's saying that certain biases, despite the evidence, will make you embrace ideas that actually work against you. And he cited studies that show, you know, we pick candidates on how they look. He cited a study on, you know, how white people have racist thoughts when shown just a generic picture of a black person in a hoodie. And this is before Trayvon Martin and after Trayvon Martin that this study was conducted, that just seeing a black person in a, in a hoodie gives them, you know, all types of racist thoughts. And so he's talked about the rise of conspiracy theories, especially in this internet and social media era, and one in particular. So from July of 2016 to November of that, same year as we all know that was the election year the most shared story on facebook was that the the pope supports a trump election it was shared over 10 million times it's not true but how many of those 10 million people or more that saw that post believed it because we're we're more and more getting our news not from a traditional newspaper or news organization we're getting it from friends on our Facebook page, friends on our Instagram page, Twitter, or whatever. So he pretty much is saying how what makes right-wing populists so well-followed is that when people become angry, you want something or someone to blame. You don't have a job, that's because the immigrants are taking it. You can't afford your house or your cost of living or your job laid you off, it's because of progressive policies. That's why you can't. And so people turn to them because they give them a boogeyman to be angry about. And he even talks about how conservatives are becoming more and more open to a dictator, a dictator, Frank. So the whole Bush era was about getting rid of dictators like Saddam Hussein. Now, more and more of our citizens are open to that type of leadership. What the hell is going on? And and what are your thoughts on this article by uh, Rick Shankman. Man, I, I like I said, I, I mean, 
to underscore it a little bit, like you said, the, the um, yeah, I think he was at like a talk. There was some kind of talk in like Lisbon or some kind of somewhere that you know, kind of political summit, where people kind of gather and talk about I, ideas and things like that. Um, I think the when I and I read through some of the article actually by Sean Rosenberg as well. I think what the, the scary part is is the way that the right wing populism, which is which is what he really talks about, is the spread of it is like a virus from a standpoint of if like this, like it creates a, it creates a, a disease and it also creates a vaccine at the same time. And so it's like, like you said, the immigrants are a problem and we're going to build a wall, right? Like it, it's, they're creating a problem and a fix for it, but it may not even be a thing, but they're there and they're, but they're causing you to feel like it could affect you. Right. Like, remember when Ebola was a thing, people thought it was a thing. And everybody was like paranoid about it. It's like there are so oh, many yeah. things that people can get get stirred up about. And because, like you, you mentioned very astutely, the way we get our media, we don't even try to discern or filter. And I think that's one of the things you talked about in, in the article is the lack of filtering and cognitive ability in 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 the in the um voter is is lost and that's what's being lost like people aren't able to see hey you know what this doesn't make sense or there's actually nuanced answers right like if you ever go to a site like it's interesting anybody i'm sure you guys have heard the site i side with it's i s i b e w i t h and it's it's a it's a website where you can answer questions about different political policies economic social um foreign policy and it gives you what candidate you most identify with the interesting thing about that side is it allows it actually allows you there's the yes or no answer to the question and then there's actually like more answers and then there's other nuanced answers. The thing about right wing populism that that's so popular is it just allows people to have yes or no answers. And so people don't want to have the nuance. It takes nuance to have a democracy because there are candidates that we're trying to paint as black and white, but they're really nuanced. Like we 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 in in, in our own way. We've defeated democracy by trying to have the, the kind of two-party system with candidates that do either one thing or the other thing. So then, because the Democratic Party really is not, it really it really is nuanced, and some of the candidates can't explain. Like Lauren Burke talked about this in the interview a little bit. Like it's very easy for the for the conservative politics, especially someone like Donald Trump, who's a populist guy anyway, to come in with the the conservative talking points and continue to hammer them home. Whereas the more um, liberal voters are like, okay, well, we kind of want to see, you know, we're, we're looking at this, we're looking for these nuanced things, and they're not able to get behind a candidate because it doesn't check every little thing. They don't like, you know, like certain things. Whereas the machinery of white right wing populism is just a feeling. It's 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 like a virus. It's like, oh, we need to be, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to. Um, it's like a mob mentality that that exists, and so the mob mentality and democracy don't go together. But that's kind of what we've been building social media has, has helped um uh, how would you say they, they they become almost a petri dish for this kind of thing because like you mentioned people are getting their news this how many evangelical christians base their view and said oh i'm supporting trump because they saw this article about fake article about the pope right i'm sure there's at least a few of people if it got shared 10 million times then you can be sure at least maybe 50, 60,000 people may have swayed their vote. And, and when the election was decided by 80,000 people, that's significant. So I just I just think that it's a scary time because we don't want to think. 
and, and we have to be very, very careful that we are not allowing our feelings and emotions to decide what's going to be best for our country in the long term. We have to see beyond today and our own feelings and look at and look at our chip what our children children are going to be dealing with and we're doing that less and less every day and that's the scary part another important thing he mentioned too if you're somebody that wants trump out of out of office like you just can't wait for him to lose in 2020 he pretty much said that hey even if trump loses the country is still trending in a way to where you're going to have more and more Trumps in upcoming elections because the country is trending to these far right ideas and populists like what got Trump elected in the first place. So even if he loses in 2020, you know, it's still something that we need to be on the lookout for. I, I want to add before we get I, I want to add one, one thing to that. I think that is so, so okay. true. I think I think what's scary if we're doing the show in 2019. I'm just saying 15 years from now. I don't know if we're going to be in the show. I don't even know if we're still going to be here, but we'll look back at this day and say, man, Donald Trump wasn't that bad. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, Before we get out of here, man, uh, there were a couple of viral videos that went around. There was a Revolt Summit. So Revolt is a, uh, a television channel that Diddy owns. And the two viral moments were like Killer Mike going off and you got uh ti responding to uh candace owens so there was a panel of people at this summit tamika mallory killer mike ti candace owens uh it was kind of like emceed by jeff johnson katrina pearson was on the panel and a brother by the name of uh stephen park parget i think i'm saying his name right who uh started a movie called trap the vote uh, they talked about, you know, urgent problems facing black America, uh, the candidates in the upcoming election, black economics. But the uh, the two viral moments that I mentioned was one, Killer Mike just kind of went off on a, a tirade. Frank knows knows about those. He went off on a tirade about <laughs> about how um, pretty much we need to stop arguing over whose master is better out of the, you know, out of the Democrats and the Republicans. We need to stop worrying about whose master is better and start worrying about how we're going to get more economic power, how we're going to start picking candidates that are going to do for us. And if they're not going to do for us, then we don't vote for them, point blank, period. And the other one was T.I. and Cam Owens going back and forth. And he pretty much put it on the spot and said, when was America great? And she couldn't answer. I mean, he kept repeating the question over and over, I guess maybe disrupting whatever thoughts she was trying to come up with. But it was a viral moment because she couldn't answer it. And a lot of people don't really care for Candace Owens, who just recently went to Congress last week and said that white supremacy is not an issue, despite all these white supremacists committing these mass shootings. So um, the three things that I didn't care for at the summit, Frank, I know a lot of people shared the Killer Mike moment and it got a lot of hoops and hollers, but I found what he was saying to be a little problematic because he called himself answering when America was great for black people. And he cited, you know, Reconstruction. And yes, during Reconstruction, we did have black people in Congress and things like that. But we were still getting lynched and hung and and pretty much still treated like slaves. So I can't co-sign that. 
And for him, of all people, to say, stop arguing over whose master is better. And I'm like, dude, you you ride for Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, who, I mean, I like Bernie Sanders, but his number one answer on solving black problems is just get him a job. So, hey, Bernie, police are shooting black people. What can we do about it? Well, I think black people need jobs. You know, a lot of these people that are getting shot by the police have jobs. It's not just jobs. It's racism. So that's who Killer Mike is riding for. The audience to me, well, at least the audience questions, because they had a segment where the audience got to ask questions. That complete segment was trash to me. I mean, Frank, literally one guy got up there and pretty much asked T.I. what's the best way he can give him his mixtape. I, I kid you not. It was almost like a boondock skit. And uh, Candace Owens, look, listen, I know a lot of people don't like her because of her conservative views. I actually don't care about that as much. I think we need, you know, a diverse way of thinking, especially within the black community. But my issue with Candace, and I wish someone on the panel had brought this up to her, was that you can have those views, but stop letting conservative networks like Fox News use you. Like, to me, she's like a, a black meat shield for them. And it's kind of like, you know, whenever we need to talk about some black, go get Candace. And it's one of the things I appreciated out of Bill Cosby during his whole pull your pants up tour, which I disagree with, was that even though I disagree with what he was saying, he knew not to go on Fox News because he said, look, I'm not about to go on there and let them use me as propaganda. So I disagree with what he was saying, but I appreciated that he realized he wasn't going to be used by the other side to, to get their point across. So. I said all that to say, do you think forums and summits like this, that they're worthwhile or based on some of the criticism that I point out, is it kind of more or less a waste of time? <laughs> I, th I think you, you pretty much wrapped it up. I think I think more or less it trends towards a waste of time, not to say that there's not some you know, good thoughts or something comes out of it that those things may happen. There are some probably dynamic ones, but generally you end up with a bunch of talking heads and like you said, a couple of viral videos and what does it really amount to? I think, I think it's really difficult because a lot of times these, even the viral videos, they don't have true actionable points there. Um, and, and I think that it's it's difficult, man. Like I, I think I think what really has happened and, and DJ Roski, like shout out to him on for the last episode. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily agree. He, he you know, he said a couple of things as far as some off off the cuff things about some people that I didn't agree with. Um, but I would say that his by and large part, his understanding of black infrastructure is is an important thing that people should know. And I think it's important that we as black people realize that it starts with us and it starts like individually. So if we want, we want to do something, it's not at a national level, it's at a local level. Like how can we work together? Like whatever you're doing, can you find somebody who's in the same economic position you as black? It looks like you and work together to do it. Even if it's just starting, you know, a small business or whatever it is. Like, I think there just has to be more of a, more of a trust factor. We don't trust each other. And that has bred itself to where, you know, white people know that. And so you have conservative things like Fox News that will take a black person and say, oh, yeah, we can use this person. And it's like, 
we got to know what is being with the game that's, that's being played and what's at stake and not allow ourselves to fall into the trap. And even if, like you said, we have different viewpoints, different understandings, we don't prostitute ourselves out to networks and to um, channels that turn us on our own people. We need to be not divided. We can have differences inside of our, we, we, we've really struggled with that, keeping our differences from, from, going outward and, and dividing us outwardly and so i wish that we would um do better than with that but to, you know hopefully i answered your question i don't even know I, i'm really all over the place tonight so i apologize Nah, man and i just want to say one more thing on candace uh i think i would respect i shouldn't even say respect but i would take her more seriously if she had the same views that she has on things like she thinks you know, immigration is the biggest problem to African-Americans. Uh, she did make a good point by saying that we can be too emotional sometimes when it comes to making decisions and things like that. But if she would call out the right and conservatives on some of their BS every once in a while, if she would hold them accountable, then I could take her more seriously. But the fact that she kind of like she's almost like a, a female black Trump to where they never do anything wrong and she's always right. I can't take her seriously. I, I like to follow people that can admit, even if they're following one side or the other, they can admit when their side is wrong. So can't take her seriously. Uh, finally, man, I just want to say I love my artists, you know, being active. I pointed out how I didn't agree with what Killer Mike was saying, but he did say some good things. You know, he was talking about, um, you know, black economics. I totally agree with that. Um, and I just love them being active because we could have more artists like Future, who pretty much only cares about getting high and banging women, which I'm not knocking that. But it's good to also have artists that are involved, that are trying to make a change, you know, T.I. Uh, boycotting Houston's in Atlanta and, and being active and social. I, I really can appreciate that. And I, I, I enjoy it. Um, my other criticism, I wanted more Tamika Mallory. You pointed her out to me a while ago, Frank, and I've kind of been following her. I really wanted to hear a lot more from her. I want to say she only really got two good uh, segments in as far as talking. It was Killer Mike, T.I., and Candace Owens for the most part. And I wanted to hear from the brother that started Trap the Vote. Like, he is doing some things, and we, we, hardly, ever, we, we hardly heard from him. So, you know, I liked it. Uh, but, you know, it definitely had its flaws and hopefully they'll do it more often. Hopefully they'll grow and even invite, you know, politicians and candidates to the forum so they can be questioned and grilled because CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they don't always ask the questions that the, the real people want to know about. So um, that's my take on that, man. Before we get out of here, I really want to thank everybody that shared our special episode we did. For the first time, we did like an interview-only episode with DJ Roski out of Mobile, Alabama. We talked about, you know, uh, gentrification and <laughs> racism and a whole lot of other things that uh, Frank even brought up. Um, so I, I really appreciate you guys sharing that. I saw a lot of people sharing that interview on social media, people that I'm not even friends with. So I thank you so much for that. DJ Roski did uh, mention a good friend of mine who, if I'm not mistaken, has a slight, slightly different 
uh, I guess, take on what's going on in Mobile and some of the other things that he mentioned. Uh, so I just want to formally, if she's listening, invite you on the show and give your take if you would like, uh, because since he did bring you up, I think it's only fair that we have you on and, you know, just give a different perspective on some of the things we spoke on with him. Anything else that you got going on? Because like I said earlier in the show, you're the one that brought uh, 16, 19 projects. So I'm sure you can come over here, come on here and educate Frank and I on a lot of things. So thank you guys once again for sharing the interviews and listening. Uh, please subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Podbean. Frank, take us out. What can I say? Um, as Byron said it all. We love you guys. Uh, continue to support the show. We thank you for the platform you've given us. We, we, we definitely take it seriously. And so we, we thank you. And we'll see you guys soon on an episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates. Thank you.